guy in a nice suit. This is Don Ross. How's it going? <laughs> All right, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. Good chance to turn there. But greetings. It's good to be with you. I think this is my second time preaching here. So it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Uh, We serve at Miracle Mountain Ranch. I do the marketing and the development side of things there at Miracle Mountain Ranch. I've been there since 2000, so a little while. And we would just welcome you to come visit Miracle Mountain sometime. We're a Christ-centered camp that's very interested in sharing the gospel to all that would come. We have a summer camp, and then we have the discipleship program for college-age students to come and spend a year with us in apprenticeship, learning how to run a camp, but also learning Bible classes and uh, discipleship and leadership. And so that's what we're about there at Miracle Mountain Ranch. So we welcome you to come out sometime. Is it on? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's on. I can hear myself up here a little bit, too. Move it up a little bit, that's better. Can you hear me? All right, good. Everybody says yes, that's good. I get loud, so I don't want to be too loud. All right, let's pray, and then we will get started on this message. Dear God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, designer of our being, sustainer of our life, the one that has given us hope in this lost world that is full of sin, that saves us, ourselves, from From our sin, we're condemned, but you've given us hope. Please help us this morning as we study this topic of giving, how we learn to give as you would have us to give. Teach us to sow that we might reap, not for us, but for your namesake, for your glory. Help us to love you by loving others and being generous to others around us, especially the poor. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll give you a little bit of backstory before we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're, we're talking about the Corinthian church, and this would have been near Greece. I got up very early this morning, because with kids sometimes that happens. So I was up at 4 or something, I was awake. I was like, well, might as well make coffee and sit in the chair and work on the message. And now I want to go to Greece, because I had some time to kind of play around, look at the map, and I wanted to see exactly where Corinth was. In, in relationship to like Athens and some of the area there. And, and the area, you know, where this would have taken place is basically ruins now, but there are a lot of artifacts that are left and it's, it's a very beautiful area. So I've, I said to Tanya this morning, I'd love to, love to visit sometime. Do some more research on this message. I think that'd be, be a good reason to go, right? Take some pictures. I'm a photographer. It'd be fun to see some of those ruins, the pillars that are there. Uh, at Apollo and stuff like that, but I enjoyed that. So this is this this took place about an hour from from Athens. If you wanted to look up on a map um, that way, and so Paul spent about eighteen months or so getting the church going there, and, and spent that time there. So he had a lot of time himself and his ministry in this area in Corinth. He didn't have um, a, a, a great like start in Athens and then went to Corinth and, and it took hold and took, took root. But it wasn't always easy, right? We know that from 1 Corinthians. And so if you forget some of the things that happened in 1 Corinthians, I would encourage you to go and read that this week 
I think one writer talked about the, the Corinthian catastrophe. And so Paul founded this church and kind of got it started, but then they, they went in a lot of different directions, right? And so he wrote them correction. He discipled them. He mentored them. And he says that, you know, during his last visit, it was so painful that this time he's actually going to just send them a letter. And I, I find this interesting, <clears throat> that he would send them a letter instead of visiting I think a lot of times now we might just give up on somebody like that. Like if the last visit was so painful, like what? Just, just forget it. Just move on to another place that's easier. In our society, we call that like ghosting someone. They're difficult. They're hard to work with. They don't always listen. So I'm just not even going to talk to them. You ever feel that way? But Paul did not give up on this church. In fact, he wrote a letter, and thankfully he did, because it is from that letter that we get so much doctrine about how to handle these issues. If it wasn't for him discipling this church, we would not have as much direction today. And so we are very thankful that he did spend that extra time to confront sin, to keep correcting them, keep confronting them, Keep loving them. And, and I find it ironic, like, the thing he's getting at in this message, which we're going to get to about giving, is he's, he's offering them, like, this huge reward. All right, so now we're in the harvest season. You drive by and you see the grapes. And uh, Tom was talking about the apples that are coming. Why are they there? What happened before? Somebody had to plant them. Somebody had to care for them. And now there's a harvest. And so Paul did not want this church to miss out on reaping God's blessings. So even though they were hard to deal with and painful to Paul, Paul still gives them this valuable information and teaches them how to give. So it had not always gone well. And then a little bit deeper on this topic... He confronts those that would ask wrongfully for money. Ever experienced that? Maybe ever see somebody that you felt like they were asking wrongfully for money? There was uh, so-called super apostles that would, that would ask, and he's pushing back and saying, I'm, I'm not asking like that. I could ask like that because I'm a leader of the church, and I could come saying, you really need to give. But he did it. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 9, 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor I am writing these things to secure such provision. I'd rather die than anyone deprive me of my grounds of boasting. And who did he boast in? He boasted in Christ. And he says later, and we'll talk about that, his treasure was in Christ. But this would be a little part of our lesson as far as when we see someone asking that doesn't, fall under what we're going to read about in 2 Corinthians, it's a little bit of a red flag. It was it maybe something's wrong here? Because Paul didn't ask that way. Paul didn't come demanding. Paul came presenting the truth and, and even representing this, this uh, you know, sow and you will reap concept that, that we see even naturally, but he did not demand it. He wanted it to be from the heart. Remember those words. He wanted it from the heart. Paul has the right to ask for support and money, but he does not take this right. 
This seems to be a trend with Paul. He wants people to be generous from the heart. And again, if we hear a Christian leader standing up and making such demands that are different than what we see in Paul's example to us, this might be a red flag to us. But then he goes on uh, in 2 Corinthians, and just I just want you to understand kind of what Paul had gone through. And he's painting this picture before he gets to this part where he's talking about why they're to invest and, and showing them what's happening with the church in Asia, which would be like Ephesians and stuff like that, modern day Turkey. And in 2 Corinthians 1.8, we read this and, and says, you know, so if Paul doesn't want them to be unaware. I wouldn't want you to be unaware of this. So, so if you want, you can turn with me. Second uh, Corinthians 1.8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired in life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. Now, why do I mention this? This is a little ways from our core passage. But he's painting a picture here that will shape the way that you give, right? It'll shape shape how we give. His belief system, what he put his hope in, what he treasured was Christ. And so what does he say about hard times? Sometimes we think when we go through a hard time, you know, we just got to get out of it. And Paul says this hard time was meant to shape him into a better follower of Christ. And that is not always our first response when we go through a hard time, right? I mean, maybe, maybe it is for you. I don't know. You know, maybe Leah, you know. When she goes through a hard time, she's like, it's made it's to help me be a better person in Christ. Thank the Lord for this right now. It's not always our first response. Um, but let me read on. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. That's pretty bad. The sentence of death. That, that's how Paul felt. But and this line is just spot on, just so helpful. But that was to make us. So God had a plan through that, right? You hear this with Joseph, what they meant for evil. God meant that evil for good. Not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril. He will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope and he will deliver us again. Now he turns it, right? In verse 11, you must also... Help us by prayer. So he wants them to have this same confidence in Christ that they would cry out to Christ and pray. And that should be our response in difficult times. So we see great need here. But we see the answer is Christ. We see that Paul is pointing towards a clear gospel-oriented need for gifts to be given. He's, he know, he's getting there. I mean, Corinth was a rich group of people. He knew they had resources. But instead of just going, look, you're rich people and you should give. He's like, no, it's really about the gospel. It's really about this this effort to share the gospel around the world and grow the church. If he had just come out and said, I need your money. 
then it would have been about the money and not about the goal. And he's saying, my confidence is in Christ. Your confidence should be in Christ. And you should be praying for this effort and this need and this this thing we're pushing on towards. Paul is focused on the gospel. This is often overlooked and underappreciated as man tries to push on towards a specific goal. Sometimes we say, oh, we just need to pray about it, but we don't really mean it. Right? Oh, I'll pray for you. Maybe you've said that online or something. Somebody has a prayer request. You're like, I'll pray for you. Somebody says, do you stop and pray for them? Careful, right? I mean, we could actually lie at that moment and say, I'll pray for you. No interest in actually praying for them. We just, it's just a nice thing to say in the Christian church. I'll pray for you. Paul's saying, pray for me. Do it. A little further down. We're, we're, we're building the case here. 2 Corinthians 4. We can move forward just a little bit. There's great need. We've seen that before, right? So there was a hard time. There's this growing church. There's difficulty. There's great need. There's great need. He's getting towards where he's going to ask for them to help with the need. But before that, he's going to reinforce this concept that he treasures Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. But we have a treasure in, but we have a, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but we're not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that life of Jesus may also manifest in our bodies. He had a treasure. His treasure was Christ. It had been very hard for Paul. He despaired of life itself. This church had caused them pain. They had erred. They had messed up. But he still loved them enough to pen them a letter, to pour out his heart to this church and say, Despite all of that, I still need you on, on the team. We got big things we're after. We're trying to share the gospel. There's needy churches in Asia that you can help. God has given you resources. You are good at making money. They were at an epicenter of, of commerce. If you look at that part of the world, two large bodies of water on either side. There's a canal there that can traverse back and forth. Maybe even you know, some of this region back in the day when, when uh, you had the Erie Canal, which connected, and some places in the country didn't have the ability to connect with the broader world. But this, they were kind of this trade route center between a lot of things, and it was really growing. And there's a lot of artifacts that are still you know, there today. And so they were good at making money, obviously. But Paul didn't just want that. He wanted them to give, but give for a reason. He wanted their hearts to be right. So in recap of this first little introduction, it's been hard. Help is needed. Some have asked wrongfully. His treasure is in Christ. Prayer shows how we trust God. The gospel is the goal. And then don't don't miss this opportunity to give. So let me recap kind of the message here as a goal for us this morning. Our goal is to bring glory to God. We do this by following his commandments. This is for all Christians. This is, this is, 
we need these statements, right? So we have the creeds and stuff like that to remind us what we're to be about on a daily basis. And this, this applies to everybody here. Our goal is to bring glory to God. It's clear in scriptures. Whatsoever we do, we glorify God in all we do. We do this by how? Following his commandments. What are his commandments then, you would ask? His commandments are to love him. And, and we love him, uh, we show that we love him by loving others. Love God and love others. We can love people, then specifically how does this apply to this message, by being generous to them. And then how is our giving supposed to be directed? It's not supposed to be under compulsion. It's from the heart that loves to give to God. This creates cheerful giving. We are so trusting in God's goodness and so thankful for his grace that he saved us and offers us eternal life that we are full of joy to support his causes, his good news, and spread it with the rest of the world. All right, that brings us to our passage, so we'll get started now. That was the introduction. I'll, I'll be quick. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 through 15. I'm going to read it one more time. We can't read the scriptures too much. If anything, you're left with where we're at this morning and a place to go back and study giving. At least you have that, even if I mess it up. The point is this, it says, and I love how Paul clearly kind of tells us what we're to be about here. The point is this. The point is this. All that leading up to this is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Think about those words. Those are powerful, meaningful, consequential words. You could consider those a warning. You could consider those something to to help you really grow. Each one, though, he says. So, So Paul, with all of this need, with all the churches he's trying to help grow and support and the gospel causes, he lays all of that down in this passage to say that before you give a dime, don't mess this part up. Now, you could say to Paul, like, well, Paul, don't just, you know, take their money. Just tell them to give. Right. He's like, no, I don't want it unless it's given very specifically. So this applies for us. Don't give unless this is true. Okay? Don't give unless this is true. And what does he say? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. And these are the rules. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul is talking about his Christian church thriving by giving away what God has given them. You can thrive by how you sow. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. <clears throat> he who has supplied the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seeds for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is so rich in theology. This is so many promises in here that direct how we think about giving. 
We would be lost if Paul didn't write this letter to this ornery church about giving. So thankful. For the ministry of the service is not only to supply the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, I'm going to take you through the main points that you could write down and kind of take to the bank. Maybe, maybe take them before you go to the bank. But as you understand giving. All right. First point. We give as we are able. We give as we are able. Um, go back for just a second to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4. This is something that's come more alive to me as I've preached this message now for a while. Let me read it. We give as we are able. This is the Macedonian church. Contrast here. You've got the Corinthian church, very wealthy church, right? Downtown New York City, driving Teslas, whatever it is, fancy vehicles, all the things. Probably like chariots, but whatever. And then Macedonian, little country church, maybe surrounded by grape grapes or something. I don't know. But here's what the, Paul has to say about this church. We want you know, to know, brothers, about the grace of God has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. I can testify. And beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This poor church that didn't have hardly anything gave what they had. They gave to their means, and it is commended to them. They are the church that's the example to the fancy church. Do you realize that? This little church in the middle of nowhere, probably, that's poor, under severe affliction, is like, no, 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 we get it. We want to be a part of the gospel. We want to be a part of these churches growing. We don't want to miss out. And so Paul's writing to this other church that's about to miss out and saying, Just a little example, but this church, it's not about the money. It's not about the amount. It's about their heart. And so it's pretty neat how we see that. So first, we give as we are able. So there's not a specific number. It might not be money at all. It might be be your time. For a lot of us, that's the most valuable thing we have. It's definitely a resource we can never get back. It might be your emotions. It might be teaching. It could be lots of different things. And we see that even back then, a lot of times, you know, giving the Old Testament was about grain or first fruits or different things. So you, you might not even realize what you have to give to the poor around you and the saints around you. That's pretty exciting. This leaves no one out. Everybody can be a giver. Next, our hope comes from the Lord. During all persecution, 
and all danger, our hope comes from the Lord, Paul says. We give because we are confident that God will reward us. And it is not bad to be excited about how God is going to reward you. If not here, then in eternity, right? Like, I hope you didn't come to church and they're like, yeah, I just hate to go. And I don't know why I'm doing it, but I'm just going. Like, you should be excited about the blessings that the Lord will give you. Now, we don't know how those are going to show up. We don't know that they're going to be here. They might be after this life. That's where sometimes we we see, you know, in the world, like, well, if you do this, if you give this amount, you're going to become this. I don't subscribe to that stuff at all. We're just faithful, and we know that the Lord will reward us. We don't know how he's going to reward us. He put Paul in prison. But Paul had the words then to write a couple of books of the Bible from prison, and, and he was pretty excited about his commission. Hebrews 11.6, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists and that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. Don't seek to get richer. We hope to get more richly blessed by God. Point number three, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Sowing or planting is the act of placing a seed in the ground and hoping it grows into a prosperous plant that will bear fruit. For instance, if you plant one kernel of corn, you get hundreds in return. He is Reminding this church that if they don't sow, they won't reap. You can't just sit there and do nothing. You should do it from the right heart, but you should sow. Next, you give as you are led in your heart. Giving should be from the heart. It should be something that flows from your relationship with Christ as an act of love. And worship to him. This is a a great test. And so I would I would ask you not to give if your heart is not in the right place. But if your heart is not in the right place, I would ask you not to do nothing. We would look at what Paul said. We would pray, Dear Lord, I don't feel like giving. Please do a work in my heart. And we know. That he will. If you treasure Christ, you will sow. You will sow. If I said that out back there's there's a treasure chest with a couple million dollars out there, and you know, the first person that goes and just all they have to do is pick it up and you know, they can have it. Uh, probably be a lot of people that would move on that, right? I mean, you, you get so excited about getting things that you believe in that most of you are going to have lunch today. Why do we eat? Because we feel like there's a reward from that eating, right? So we get hungry and we're like, food will satisfy. So we invest time and energy and money to satisfy that need. That's, that's fine. That's, that's normal. And so God's created this, and we learn this from Hebrews eleven six that he, he wants us to be excited about the reward. So I know that if you don't treasure Christ, you're not going to plant. Why would you? Right? If you don't believe in heaven, why would you pl- make plans to go there? Why would you change the way you live? You better live it up now, because there's nothing after this. 
But for the Christian, we believe there is something after this, and it's a whole lot more consequential than this short vapor of a life that we experience now. But you also give as you can. Next, not reluctantly. Another test. Or under compulsion. So if you feel like you have to, or if someone's told you you must, then that's kind of contrary to what Paul's saying here. Now we might do some of that with our kids, like you need to give or you need to serve. That's a training period that's different, but most of you here are, are on your own and you are responsible for your decisions. And so it's not supposed to be under compulsion. And I think this is also one, teaches us not to, to be that person who is compulsing others to give. We have to leave that to the Lord. We can teach on it, but, um, but we're not to just you know, push people around and make them give. We leave that between them and the Lord. So don't be that person. And then also, if you, if you see that or hear that, uh, that's a red flag. And sometimes, you know, like TV evangelists will get that designation. You feel like it's always about given 1995 and then you're, this, all this is going to happen. You're going to get this book and all these things like, man, are we talking about the gospel or, or ordering like a new broom or something? You know, and so that's a red flag there. That doesn't sound anything like what Paul's presenting here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Next, God loves a cheerful giver. So it's not under compulsion. Uh, it's actually out of cheerfulness. You're excited to give. And if you're not excited to give, I think we cry out to God and we say, uh, reattach this. We say, dear Lord, please do a work in my heart. And this would go with a lot of things, right? We may not feel like giving, we feel like loving, feel like serving or whatever. And then we cry out to God and say, dear Lord, because we're sinful. Like we need his help on a daily basis. We need his help. That's normal. It's normal probably that you would not feel like giving, right? You're like, well, why should, I don't want to give, right? My time, are you kidding me? My money, I worked hard for that. Uh, But we do know there are cheerful givers. And so we do know it is possible. And, and probably there has been times in your life where you were very excited to give. You're excited to give. You're like, I just can't wait to give this gift. It is more blessed to give than to receive. However, we actually receive when we give. Another part of this is God's grace. God gave us grace. We are thankful and we pass it on to others. Right? If... if you know, if you were crashed your car into a lake and, and you were drowning and someone rushed out there and pulled you out and saved your life. And, and, and maybe, you know, two weeks later, they're like, you heard that they didn't have a, you know, a meal. You'd probably be like, I, I can't wait to give them a meal. They saved my life last week. I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for them. So a meal, I just can't wait to take them a meal. And this happens in the church. Somebody has a baby or somebody's sick. And and what do you do? You get excited to like pack up a meal and bring it over to them. That's what this is supposed to be like. God gave us grace. And we are so thankful about the grace that he has given us that we are excited to give. So if we do not feel excited, then maybe we're not realizing the grace that we have been given. We're not believing that God exists and that he has died on the cross for our sins. God loves a cheerful giver. 
Next, nestled in the middle of this is this command to give to the poor. I, I really don't think the church as a whole has got this uh, nailed down very well right now. We should give to the poor. It is throughout Scripture. And I think politics have, has tainted this. And, and we're so afraid of how it looks uh, or maybe helping someone that may not appreciate it. We're not responsible for that. We're responsible to take care of the poor. And God is responsible for judging the poor and us and any person, right? We don't have to do that part. We just have to give to the poor. So right in the middle of this, in giving, one of the things we can do is give to the poor. So if you have poor around you, be looking out for ways to bless them. And probably you have poor among you here in this church and poor around you uh, wherever you are. And so look for ways to do that. Next point. God can make grace abound to us, the giver. God gives grace to those who give to others. We give as we are able. Next point. His righteousness will endure forever. Giving is a part of his righteous plan. Giving is a part of his righteous plan. He didn't have to make it this way. There didn't have to be like, worship and a chance to give back, but that's how it was created. And so giving and tithing and, and, and blessing others is a part. And I think it's a part because it reveals really where our heart is at. And so when we're doing it normally, um, it's just very easy and comes naturally. So his righteousness will endure forever. And this is a part of his righteous plan. Next, God provides seed to the sower. This is one of my favorite points. And we're going to end pretty close to here. So kind of understand this point. If we go back to our passage, look, look there with me for a second. I want to show you something that I think is very humbling because we're talking about money and money is uh, some, and resources. It's not just money, time, all those things. But this can be a touchy subject because we're kind of like funny about it somehow. Like we've actually made all of this ourselves. Like the things we have, the houses we have, the cars we drive. Like don't touch our stuff, right? That we kind of get that way about things. Like, don't talk about money. You know, I've even gone to preach this at churches, and the pastor, like, warned me. Well, well, remind them that they are really good givers. Um, you know, Here, here's the interesting thing about this passage. Look at um, verse 10. So 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. This is the humbling part about it. For he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest of your righteousness. So who gave you the seed in the first place? Right. And who's going to protect it all the way to the harvest? God. And who's going to multiply the harvest? God is. What do we take credit for? None of it. Not if our heart's in the right place. So when it starts to be our stuff... We gotta watch out. Maybe we're holding on to something that was given to us and really should be passed on to others as an act of worship in Christ. Next and lastly, giving creates thankfulness to God, it says. So the more you give like God has commanded you to give, and we talked about in the beginning that we are to love God and to follow his commandments, and one of his commandments is clearly to give. And when we give, we are blessed. And when we are blessed, we feel thankful, and it creates a thankfulness in our heart, and you always can spot a thankful person, can't you? 
You know, and, and sometimes you do something to thank you. And a thank you goes a long ways, doesn't it? Giving creates thankfulness to God. Paul does one more thing before he launches into the main appeal to the church of Corinth. He tells us about another church. Oh, sorry, we went over that part. That's that church in Macedonia. Let me read that one more time because I think this is just, uh, just pointed and, and something that's been on my heart. Um, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that is given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means. I can testify. So this church, he reminds them that they, they gave just, so maybe it's like, it's like the widow's might, right? One penny might be all that it is. And with God, that can be a huge gift because it's about obedience. It's not about a number. So the thing is, the, uh, that's between you and the Lord to know what those things are. Matthew Henry, who wrote a lot of commentaries, wrote this. Let us endeavor to copy the example of Christ, being unwearied in doing good and deeming it more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this reminder on how to give. I pray that the church here that heard this little devotional on, on giving would not stop there, but would read First and Second Corinthians and other passages in the scripture like Psalms 112 about giving to the poor and study this whole topic of, of giving. And, and Lord, help us not to hold on to our things more than we would hold on to you, putting our, our trust in earthly vessels. That's a temptation for all of us in this church this morning. We put trust in the things we see almost like, like an idol. And dear Lord, we know that that could pull us away from you. We could start to make decisions based on that and not on what you're telling us to do in our heart. I pray for those this morning that do not feel like giving. And I don't always feel like giving either. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in my heart, in our hearts together as a church, that you would help us to be generous. You'd help us to be generous. And I pray, Lord, that we would, you would show us the poor, the needy, those that cannot offer a dime back to us, that we would figure out a way to love you by loving them and that we would be known, we'd be a church that loves and takes care of and gives to the poor around us. Thank you for this chance to come up here to this little church and spend a Sunday together in Jesus' name. Amen. going to turn to hymn number 580, He Leadeth Me. That's part of what he said in here, is we want God to lead us in what we do so that we can do it cheerfully. Let's all stand to sing hymn number 580. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort wrought. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me, by his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. 
Sometimes mid scenes of deepest gloom, sometimes where Eden's bowers bloom, by waters calm or troubled sea, still tis his hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me, by his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. Lord, I would clasp thy hand in mine, nor ever murmur nor repine. In death's cold wave I will not flee, since is my God that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me, by his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. And when my task on earth is done, and by thy grace the victory's won, in death's cold wave I will not flee, since it through Jordan leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me, by his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. In the middle of that, that talks about holding his hand, brought me back to remembrance with my dad. When at 23 years of age, I asked him, he wanted to know what I wanted to do when I came back to visit. And I said, I'd just like to walk with you. We got to the top of the first hill on the farm, and I took his hand, asked him if I could, and we walked hand in hand. I look forward to a day when I realized God's hand in mine as much as I did my dad's that day. Um, to recognize that God leads us through everything and to look and look for that leading so that we do give as God leads us to give. And by doing so, we're excited and happy. It changes our whole outlook when we realize he's holding our hand and he's the one who pours out blessing to us as well. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Help us to go home remembering, even in Isaiah, where he says he holds us by our right hand using his right hand very much like the toddler being helped to walk, Lord. Help us to realize you're holding our hand. Care for us. Help us to hear this message and to respond in the way that you would desire us to, that we might plan in our hearts to give to you, not just of our money, but of all that we have, all that we are. Because really, when it comes right down to it, we are yours. Help us, Lord. Thank you for all that you give. Help us to as freely give as you do us. In Christ's name, amen.
you're dismissed.